Every year, in the village or town of Neapa, in the heart of El Salvador, they have what I, I refer to as, I think it's the official name of it, I don't know if there is an official name, the Neapa Fireball Festival. It's not what you think when you hear that name, perhaps. Some of you. In Neapa, they remember, they commemorate a time when a volcano erupted nearby and it dramatically altered the village. But they remember it in a unique way. Some of the citizens, some of the townspeople, they will gather uh, little little towels that they drench in in a a, 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 a liquid or substance that is, uh, is flammable. That's the word I was looking for is flammable, and what they'll do is some of the more adventurous, daring people in town, excuse me, will light their towels, light their little fireballs, and they'll walk around and start slinging them at one another. And you look at it and you say, and that's what you count as a good time. That's how you remember the days of old. I'll be honest, videos look quite enticing to me. Maybe one day we will start the Situate Fireball Festival. Just kidding. For some of you, for some of us, you might feel as if that's a good illustration of the church. Throwing fireballs at one another. And you might even remember a past time in which you got burned And it causes you to say, I think I'm going to sit this one out or I'm going to stay on the sideline. The church is an interesting thing. To some, it looks quite odd. Perhaps like a fireball festival. And if you have past occurrences in your life where you have been hurt, where you have been burned, By the church, I grieve with you. We grieve. Yet, there's a way that the church is kind of like the Neapa Fireball Festival. But not in the sense that people do things that look extremely dangerous to the outside eye. But where there is a shared experience of it. That it seems as if it has become such a part of one's life that you can't imagine life without it. What I am going to put before us from our text, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 28, is that God has given us the church to give attention to one another's good while we wait on Jesus. Let me say this again. God has given us the church to give attention to one another's good while we wait on Jesus. I'm going to read our passage. I encourage you to follow along at Quietly, silently, as I read 
Let us see what the Bible would have for us. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Four ways that we can walk through this passage and see how God gives the church to us for our good and for our growth. He gives us pastors. He gives us the congregation. He gives us our gatherings to worship. And ultimately, finally, He gives us and will send yet again His Son, Jesus Christ. First, God gives us pastors. The Apostle Paul writing these final instructions to the church in Thessalonica tells them in verses 12 and 13 to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now this is odd for me to preach to you. I could read this, respect those who labor over you, esteem them very highly, and then I could just say, all eyes up here, here I am. But that would be the easy way, wouldn't it? What God is showing the church in Thessalonica and showing us is that we have a responsibility, not just you to me, but all of us to respect those who labor in the Word of God among the church. They have this spiritual authority over you, even to the point that they at times must admonish you. Now, if you're unfamiliar with our church's leadership structure, 
the way we are organized, we have a congregation of members, and then we have pastors or elders who the congregation has affirmed to be in positions of spiritual authority and leadership of the congregation. I am not the only pastor or elder in our church. We have two elders in addition to myself, Rick Goodenough and Dave Smalley. And what we do is we have a responsibility to care for and to work towards and to pray towards and to pursue the spiritual good of the church family that has been entrusted to our care. And so what Paul is holding before the church is that pastors have been given to them for their good. Like a teacher given to a student, like a parent given to a child for their nurturing, for their healthy development, for their growth in the faith. Now the danger is that the church in Thessalonica perhaps struggled with something that we would never struggle with. And that is perhaps an attitude that would say, I don't know that I like what you got going on, Pastor. Why did you share that hard word with me? Why did you exhort me towards a difficult step of, step of obedience? I didn't ask for that from you. And what Paul says is that pastors, those who labor over the church, do, show, do so as a gift to the church. He exhorts the church to esteem them very highly in love. Because of their work. Now church family, I must say that I have never doubted this church's love for me. This is not something that I read and I, I say in myself, I say in my heart, man, I, I, I really hope they get this. I really hope, like, like, like I'm going to say some things, but I'm not going to say some things, and I hope they catch the things I'm not saying, and, and hope we can maybe make some inroads or make, dig, dig, uh, uh, make some progress here on things that we need to make progress on. No. I am grateful for you, dear church. I'm grateful for the church body, the church members, the church, the congregation here at First Baptist Situate that I and our elders are going to have to give an account before God of how we shepherded you. I just ask and I exhort you to recognize that God has given us for your good and for your growth even when admonishment must happen. I pray that we would strike a tone with our church family, not of being harsh or domineering, but also not of being a pushover or a walkover, but of being ones who lovingly care for and bind up and build up the sheep, while also correcting and protecting and guarding from being snatched away when necessary. And to show that Paul was a seasoned pastor, he puts at the end of verse 13, telling them to respect and esteem, and then he says, be at peace among yourselves. He knows that one of the greatest ways that the church can respect and love her pastors is to not be in conflict with one another, not be divided, 
Not be at one another's throats. Be at peace among yourselves. But God has not just given pastors to the church. He has given the congregation. He has given one another for the sake of our growth. I won't do this. We did this exercise a a few weeks ago. We won't do it again today. But I encouraged everyone to look around and to to see that God has given. When when, when I say I, I need to grow in my faith, there are ways in which I need God to minister to me. There are ways in which I really wish God would uh, 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 work out this situation in my life, or I really wish God would answer the prayers that I have in regards to this situation that I'm dealing with. There are all sorts of questions and burdens and concerns that we can carry into the life of the church and say, God, how are you going to address this? And he welcomes that. It is good for us to look to God to address and to answer the questions or the cries of our hearts and not look for other things around us to address those. But the danger is we say, God, how are you going to address these? And then we sit here and we wonder, I don't think he's going to be able to do so. When in fact, the way in which he has given us, uh, one of the most vital ways, one of the most central ways that he has given us to grow in the faith together is he's given us one another. So the exercise, if you remember a few months ago, I had everyone just look around and say, hey, who is given to you for your growth? Here. Us. I've used the illustration before. Whenever sometimes I'm, walk, I'm working in the church office and I'll see uh, children from the preschool that meets downstairs walking to the playground across the way and I'll see them. And, and, and how do children that are like three, four, five years old, how do they walk together? They walk in the straight line holding hands. It's a great illustration of the life of the church. They've left the preschool. They're hoping to help everybody make it to the playground safely without losing anyone. And that is what we do as a congregation. We are journeying to heaven together, hand in hand, hoping not to lose anyone along the way. My friend, if you have been, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, if you consider yourself a Christian, and yet you've wondered about the role or the nature of the church or the centrality or the importance of the church or lack thereof, may I urge you to see that God has not given the church to be a a secondary add-on to the Christian life. He's given the church to be a central component and an aspect of the Christian life. The Christian trying to grow in the faith apart from the close, uh, 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 intimate fellowship of one another in the body is like the marathon runner trying to run a race depriving themselves of the water that is going to hydrate and strengthen them for the race. Paul exhorts the church of this in verses 14 and 15. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This actually begins a part in verse 14 where you have from verses 14 to 22, I believe it is 16 different instructions that God gives the church. And listen to these. In verse 14, what does he say? He does not say we suggest, we recommend, 
He does not even say, we encourage. He says, we urge you. Admonish the idol. We're going to get into what he means by the idol more in 2 Thessalonians, which will begin next week. We'll have three weeks in 2 Thessalonians. But, but the, the idol is, is, is possibly meaning those who were refusing or, or unwilling to work. But I think what it actually means, and this is why we're going to get into it more uh, uh, later, is that there were some Christians in Thessalonica who were basically hired hands, hired servants for wealthy non-Christians in the community, and the, these wealthy non-Christians were asking, expecting them to do things that were uh, uh, sometimes entirely ethically out of bounds, at other times perhaps in a morally gray light, and this word for idle is not just those who won't work or those who are lazy, it's not that, but it, it could imply a, a, an idea of undisciplined. And so what I think Paul has in mind is encourage those who are living a life inconsistent with the faith they profess. And how often do we need that? How often do I need that? How often this week were you perhaps struck by, or if you even do a quick scroll back in your mind of the events of this week, and your, your heart, your mind, your responses, your, your, your engagement with those events, and, and your reactions, and your, your, your fears, or your, your anger, or whatever it is that come upon your mind as you walk through this week, how often was your heart out of sync with the faith you profess? You see, it's not a question of was it at times, how often? How regularly? And Paul gives us one another to help us to live in accord with our faith. To encourage the faint-hearted. To help the weak. To be patient with those that you choose to be patient with. Wait, nope, that's not what it says. To be patient with who? Them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. You know, sometimes it might be easy to say, you know, I think it'd be a little easier to be a Christian back in like biblical times. If I was around Jesus. If I got to sit under his ministry, got to see some of the miracles. I don't even have to see a lot of them, just a few of them. Or maybe if I was in a church that like we were regularly receiving letters from the, and, and even in-person visits from the Apostle Paul, I'd make the faith a lot easier. But then I look at this, I read this, and I see some of the same challenges. Some who on that journey to heaven are starting to let go. Life has dealt them a difficult, challenging, even painful hand. And they're saying, I don't know if I believe this God that I profess to worship and trust. Maybe that's the boat you are in today. Where you're, you're, you're just starting to let go of that grasp. You're starting to think, I can't hang on. And yet God has brought you here to be encouraged by one another. Brothers and sisters, how precious is the ministry of encouragement that we have to and for and with one another. You know, a good goal, a good thing to resolve as a church in our regular life together, in our regular gathering of the body, would be to say, I'm at, at church this week, like when you're driving to church, to say, whether it's before the service, after the service, in conversations with others, I am going to try to encourage somebody in the faith. 
It might be as simple as asking them how you can pray for them. When you ask them how their week was, seeking to encourage them somehow with a promise of what is ours in Christ. When they share of how they're downtrodden or brokenhearted. Not slapping them over the head, but putting your arm around them and saying, yes, following Christ, walking in obedience to Him invites many challenges. But He is worth it. He is worth it. Help the weak implies that there are ones who are weak. And be patient with them all implies there are ones that it is hard to be patient with. But that's not the case with us, is it? There's nobody here that it's hard to be patient with. Well, there's at least one. I know because you're all looking at him right now. Let's be honest, it can be hard to be patient with anybody. Yet, have you ever heard the church described as the body of Christ? You know, this is not just language that was dug out of thin air. Like, oh, that sounds, that sounds spiritual and engaging and captivating. No. The church is the body of Christ biblically. Not we are literally the body of Christ. No, I have the body of Stephen. Pat has the body of Pat. Helen has the body of Helen. Steve has the body of Steve. No. We're the body of Christ in that the ministry of Christ to His people. The presence of Christ with His people is lived out in the church. So when we are patient with one another, when we are encouraging one another, when we are walking alongside of making that extra effort to visit the other Christian or to call the other Christian who we know is downtrodden and to check in with them and pray with them, we are doing the very ministry of Christ to them. Depriving ourselves of the church or depriving ourselves, depriving others of the ministry of, our, of the church because we are too busy or too engaged elsewhere to, to, to care for one another in the church is to rob others of the ministry that Christ would have for them. Because He has given us one another as a means of His care, His comfort, His goodness. That we may know it. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. In the church, we don't have to look for gotchas. We don't have to look for one-upmanship. We don't have to look for this person did me wrong, so they're on the, they're on the bad list, and, and I'm just never going to look at them the same way. The church is a place where we forgive one another, where we bear with one another, where when evil is committed against us by others in the church, we seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, I must pause here. Because I don't want to present a picture that some of us in our context might think of where we say where evil is done, we don't do anything about it. 
And we draw to mind examples or stories of abuse, mistreatment, criminal behavior done in the church, even in the name of Christ. We say, okay, do we just forget it? Forgive it? No, we don't. We seek justice where needed. We don't make light of it. But I think a good posture for all of us would be not in great challenges of great, con- uh, uh, of great injustice or great mistreatment or great abuse, but in the day-to-day rhythms where we just rub wrong one another the wrong way, even unbeknownst to us. I know there's, there's, there's a number of people in this church family who I have rubbed the wrong way, maybe with a short response or maybe with not a response that somebody desired or anything of the sort. Because there's some of you that have done that to me. That's the nature of human relationships in that kind of thing. We seek to bear with one another. We seek to uh, believe the best about one another. And we don't hold grudges. We seek to do good to one another, and to everyone. You see that phrase, that, just that line, one another and to everyone at the end of verse 15. The one another applies within the body of faith, within the church family. And then the everyone implies, well, everyone. So may this be our conduct towards those outside the church family. Believing the best about one another. Not holding grudges not being so divided that we can't engage with and be good neighbors with those from whom we might see the world differently. You think that'll stand out in our heavily polarized, heavily divided world? The ministry of the love of the body for one another is a ministry of showing others the goodness and the grace of Christ within the body and as an example to the unbelieving world. But we don't just realize that God has given us pastors and given us the church, the congregation as a gift to one another. And just real quick on that word, one another, if you were to survey throughout the entire New Testament, there's one another's listed all throughout the New Testament, and they imply a a host, a bevy of responsibilities that we all share in the church family towards each other. Because the work of the church is central. And caring for and helping Christians to reach heaven. So we've been given pastors, we've been given the congregation, we've been given the opportunity to gather together in worship of our God. The, 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 this language in verses 16 to 22 uh, speaks to the worshiping of the body. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. At its heart, the church body, when it gathers week by week, is a church of rejoicing and a church of thanksgiving. May we rejoice, not because we are in denial about reality, and we ignore our broken hearts that sometimes we inevitably carry into this room, but may we rejoice in Christ 
who has met us in our great grief, who has met us in our great sorrow, and who offers us Himself and has given us Himself that we might have new life and hope in Him. And so we rejoice. We don't sing songs of of how great the weather is and how good of a mood that has put us in. We rejoice in how great our Savior is and how sufficient He is for us in our weakness and our need. We pray without ceasing. When we pray every Sunday, we don't pray because we don't have another way to transition between songs and Scripture readings and sermons. We pray because we are instructed to do so. Prayer in the life of the church is not a byproduct. It is a central practice. It is a central component of our life together. In just a few days... We're going to uh, send out a, a letter, an update for our church with many different things going on in the life of the church for the fall as, uh, as we get back into the rhythms of the school year. And uh, there will be things for your calendar, things for you to be aware of. And one of the central things, perhaps apart from uh, the gathering of our church week by week, perhaps the most central thing that I am looking forward to in the life of our church is resuming our church Sunday evening prayer meetings. We're going to gather once a, once a month on Sunday evenings. We're going to hear a short exhortation from God's Word. We're going to sing a couple songs and we're going to pray. And we pray because God instructs us to do so. We pray because we know that we cannot build this church. We cannot walk along in our faith. We cannot do anything in our own strength, but we must do all things in God's strength and by His work within us. We pray to get outside of ourselves and to call down the fire from heaven to be upon us for our good, and for the sake of God's glory in His church. I encourage you when that's released, if at all possible, to put these prayer meetings at the top of your calendar. May we be a people that pray without ceasing. That far more often than looking outside of ourselves, we look upward towards God. That we would be a people in verse 18 who give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's interesting. You remember back in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul wrote, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. He told the church, hey, you want to know what God's will is for your life? That you grow in the faith. Not just growing intellectually and head knowledge, but grow in the faith in your heart being attuned to the gospel and to God's work in building His church for the good of your soul. For the encouragement in the midst of the storm. And now, he says, not only is this God's will for you, your sanctification, but he says in verse, 17, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. Yet again, when we come to that question of, I pray, I don't quite know what God's will for my life is. God, what would, it have, what would you have it to be? Well, 1 Thessalonians has told us twice, it is your sanctification. Now it is that you would be able to give thanks in all circumstances. And you know it's a real, real tough pill to swallow. That line, in all circumstances. How easy is it to give thanks in good circumstances? But all circumstances? How can we give thanks in all circumstances? Well, we can give thanks in all circumstances when we recognize 
that God is working in our lives and in our world and in our circumstances in ways that we can't quite recognize. But we know where he is taking us. Just because the uh, scenery around us on the road seems confusing and disorienting, we can rejoice because we know that we are traveling to a destination that is not confusing or disorienting. So, we give thanks. Do not quench the Spirit. Do you want to attend a church? Do you want to be a part of a church that is full of the Spirit of God at work in His people? Rejoice, pray, give thanks in all circumstances, and that will not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Now this is interesting. I think what's going on here is that prophecies were... uh, uh, these words of God given to the church in, in line with the, the, the giving of what we now have come to know as Scripture. And so there would be these divine authorities, whether it be apostles or there were some that were prophets in New Testament days, and they would, they would speak and apply the Word of God to the people of God. So it's not a direct correlation, but a close concept there would be do not despise the preaching of the Word of God. Do not despise the exhortation of God from His Word. But in verse 21, test everything, hold fast what is good. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, don't take everything that I or anyone in this pulpit says as 100% bona fide. Trust it no matter what. No, He's given us the responsibility as a church to guard the teaching of the church, to guard the ministry of the Word in the church. Make sure it aligns with Scripture. And then, what does hold fast what is good? Because God builds His church by His Word and then abstain from every form of evil. Don't be a people who, who yes, we have sound doctrine, but we have unsound lives. But be a people who are being built up in doctrine and in truth and and who are walking in spirit and in truth that He might sanctify us completely. Now, does this not put a great central importance upon the gathering of the church body week by week? That He might build us. He might help us rejoice. He might help us to be thankful together. He might help us to pray And in all of these things, what does he do? He turns our eyes towards the Savior. And he turns our eyes towards the Savior and helps us to see that in the church, we grow while we wait on the Savior. Look at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul basically says all of these things that, you, that I am calling you to do in verses 12 to 22, know that they will meet their full and complete fulfillment and accomplish their divine, perfect purposes for you not because of your strength, but because of the Savior who is coming. And isn't this a beautiful thing for us to be reminded of? 
He will sanctify you completely. He will keep you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I read this week an account of a woman who was able to speak Arabic, who was walking through the airport in Albuquerque just a few weeks ago. And an announcement came over the loudspeaker. If anyone here is an Arabic speaker, please come to gate A4. Gate A4. This woman thought, okay, there's probably not many Arabic speakers here in the Albuquerque airport right now. I should probably go. So she goes and she finds an elderly Arabic woman who was just inconsolable in tears. And the, uh, the, the ground crew had just announced that her flight was going to be de- delayed, and she just lost it. And they're, they're trying to figure out what, what, what is going on here. And so they're finding an Arabic speaker, and they tell her what's going on. She starts talking to this woman who, through the tears, is, is, is pouring out her heart to her. And what she finds out is that this woman was traveling to receive important, even life-saving medical attention, and she had seen the announcement, but she had not understood it, and she thought her flight had been canceled, and she was going to miss her treatments. And this woman was able to tell her, no, 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 it's not canceled. It's going to take off. It's just running about 20 minutes late. In the life of the church, sometimes our circumstances can seem so severe as we bob and weave and, 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 and take punches from every side as we walk through life and work and even home life and all sorts of things. And we can start to take so many body blows in the fight of oh, the flight is not canceled. He's coming. And so what we see is God gives us verses 23 and 24. The promise that he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And the way that we translate that message to one another is through pastors, preaching, shepherding, admonishing, through congregation, looking out for and walking alongside of one another in the faith, through gathering to worship, rejoicing, walking in thanksgiving, praying without ceasing, sitting under the preaching of the word, singing together. That's how we do it. And then he gets context, kisses on the cheek were a little more normal as a greeting. This is not a demand or an exhortation for us today. Maybe we'd be better off greeting one another with a holy handshake, holy side hug, holy pat on the back, fist bump. More important than any physical signs of connection. Do we have holy hearts towards one another? Greet one another's with greet one another with hearts bent upon caring for one another. Have this letter read to all the brothers, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The Nayapa Fireball Festival. Looks quite odd from the outside. But inside, they say it's wonderful. The life of the church together looks quite 
odd from the outside. Believe you me, this was my heart towards the church until I became a Christian, and even some after I became a Christian. Those people are weird. The stuff they do is weird, and they do it every single week. But from the inside, it's how we see and savor our Lord. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. God has given us the church to give attention to one another's good while we await Jesus Christ, the King and Lord of his church. Would you pray with me? God, you have given us one another. We ask now that you would help us to walk in faithfulness as your people, admonishing, loving, caring, Weeping with those who weep, grieving with those who grieve, rejoicing with those who rejoice, savoring and trusting Christ with one another. Oh God, cause this to be so. In us. That we may know all the more that we are secure in you. Because of our life in Christ together.